Broadcasting from the Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. All the way to the rhythm and blues of Beale Street in Memphis. To high atop the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. This is where politically correct perception meets common sense. This is the Joe Carey Show. Hey, welcome to the Joe Carey Show. Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe today. Joe will be back tomorrow. He's got some great things to talk about, some great guests who will be joining him, but uh, yours truly uh, filling in today. And, and you know, this is, I, I'm a little bit sad. No, okay, I'm a lot sad just because I didn't watch the second Democratic debate, but I was pretty sure that I was going to be uh, soundly entertained by uh, by Joe's uh, analysis and breakdown of uh, the Democrats eating themselves. Which it sounds like is pretty much what happened, although if there was a standout last night, this is just based on the uh, the video clips that I have seen, mainly clips that people have been posting on Twitter. Tulsi Gabbard, she, she brought it. And Kamala Harris, who apparently dominated the first debate a couple of weeks ago, she was on the receiving end of whatever, uh, whatever Tulsi Dunn brought. Fascinating stuff. And, and, and by the way, please don't. I, I assume, you know, you're intelligent. You don't construe this as, oh, my goodness. Are you a, are you endorsing a candidate here? Not at all. But I got to tell you, I get a little bit excited or a little bit hopeful whenever someone pushes back against the establishment narrative. And whether that's a Republican, whether it's Democrat, I feel like they're, they're different sides of the same nasty coin. And there's just a few things that, well, you know, of course, we all know this. It's, it's, it's the uh, three by five index card of approved opinion, as Tom Woods likes to put it. But I think it's a real thing. I think there, there is just there's a limit to what we can talk about. Anybody mention the $22 trillion debt last night? Nope. Crickets. But they do talk a little bit about uh, they actually did talk a lot about foreign policy. Caitlin Johnstone actually uh, has a pretty good analysis here, not only of Tulsi Gabbard's destruction of Kamala Harris, but also how the propagandists are freaking out over it. By propagandists, what she's talking about is social media. I believe Gabbard actually has uh, filed a lawsuit. I don't have all the details. Maybe you can fill me in. 801-331-8113. She is suing, I believe, Google and possibly other tech giants or other social media giants for artificially keeping her in the dark. Now, some people would say that just sounds like tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff. What, they're trying to prevent her from being heard? No, it actually looks like that that might have some legs. <laughs> it could be true. So how can you know, right? How do you know when you're being brainwashed? How do you know when, when someone is exercising mind control? I actually have a great article from Brandon Smith. I'm going to share some excerpts of that coming up. But here's what Caitlin Johnstone had to say. She says, in the race to determine who will serve as commander of chief, commander in chief, rather, of the most powerful military force in the history of civilization. Night two of the CNN Democratic presidential debates saw less than six minutes dedicated to discussing U.S. military policy during a 180 minute event. That's a six as in the number before seven, not 60, not 16, six. From the moment Jake Tapper said, I want to turn to foreign policy, to the moment Don Lemon interrupted Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard as she was preparing to correctly explain how President Trump is supporting al-Qaeda in Idlib, 
about five minutes and 59 and 50 seconds rather had elapsed. Then the questions turned toward the Mueller report and impeachment proceedings. Night one of the CNN debate saw almost twice as much time with a whole 11 minutes dedicated to questions of war and peace for the leadership of the most warlike nation on the planet. And that discrepancy, says Caitlin Johnstone, could be very well due to the fact that night two was the slot allotted to Gabbard, whose campaign largely revolves around the platform of ending U.S. warmongering. Now, CNN is a virulent establishment propaganda firm with an extensive history of promoting lies and brazen psyops in facilitation of U.S. imperialism. So it would make sense, she says, that they would try to avoid a subject which would inevitably lead to unauthorized truth-telling on the matter. But this was the moment where Tulsi Gabbard was shining, and it was when she torched Kamala Harris on criminal justice. Congresswoman Gabbard, you took issue with Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a, quote, false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about reentering former offenders and getting them counseling. It is why and because I know that criminal justice Thank system you, is Senator. so broken that I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to not your, your only decriminalize but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to, I want to bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in. Your response? The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, you owe them an apology. Dang. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Again, this is not an endorsement of Tulsi Gabbard, but uh, can we at least appreciate that Kamala Harris, who, you know, put Joe Biden in his place with this contrived connection to, you know, racist uh, uh, people who opposed busing. She kind of got put in her place and you could see on her face, you could see it was it was like someone just before they, they offered her a chance to speak, had first offered her a giant suck on a huge sour lemon. That look was just she was she was not happy about it. But interestingly enough. You're not hearing much about Gabbard. 
And this is one of the things I found in in uh, in Caitlin Johnstone's write up in in the after debate interview. Harris got some talking points from one of her members of her team and said, well, remember this speaking of of Gabby uh, of uh, Tulsi Gabbard, this coming from someone who's been an apologist for an individual, Assad, who has murdered the people of his country like cockroaches. She who has embraced and been an apologist for him in a way that she refuses to call him a war criminal. I can only take what she says in her opinion so seriously, and I'm prepared to move on. Well, there was the talking point. That was all it took. A nice smear thrown out there. Harris's press secretary, Ian Sams, unleashed a string of tweets about Gabbard as an Assad apologist, followed by a deluge of establishment narrative managers who sent the word Assad trending on Twitter. At times when Gabbard's name somehow failed to trend at all, despite being the top searched candidate on Google after the debate. Now, as of the time Caitlin Johnstone wrote this, she says... Assad is showing on the number five trending list on the sidebar of Twitter's new layout. Gabbard's name is nowhere to be seen. And that discrepancy has drawn criticism from numerous Gabbard defenders on the platform. One journalist, Michael Tracy, said, Somehow I have a hard time believing that Assad is the top trending item in the U.S., but Tulsi is nowhere to be found. Isn't that something? By the way, the thing I noticed, at least when I was on Twitter earlier this morning, was the the... Anybody who had the, the hashtag Kamala Harris destroyed, because, you know, it's kind of common when when somebody takes a, a good public beating. Well, so and so was destroyed. Hashtag Kamala Harris destroyed. Uh, they were complaining. It's just bots. It's Russian bots. That's all it is. Don't believe a word of it. It's Russian bots putting that out there. Are we really that stupid or are we are, are we believed to be that stupid? Yeah, the only way that somebody would come away with the idea that Kamala Harris got put in her place by Tulsi Gabbard is because uh, I read something a Russian bot told me. Or maybe I am a Russian bot. I don't know, man. They could be anywhere. They could be anywhere. It's it's seriously just like a crutch. It's, it's as bad as the cries of racism. Maybe I'm a racist Russian bot. I don't know. I think of the the meme that's going around with the therapist leaning forward with a concerned look in her eyes and saying, these Russian bots you mentioned, I have to ask, are are they in the room with us now? This is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to the Joe Carey Show. Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe today. Joe will be back tomorrow. So, if you have some thoughts, maybe you watched uh, the uh, Democratic debate last night. Doesn't it seem like we're awfully far out from the election for this to be, you know, the front page and, and headline news? Yet here we are. I was reading an article earlier this morning, and I think uh, it, it just it put things into perspective. You know, Canada, the, the election season is, is so much shorter. I think it was like a total of 90 days. Japan, it's only 12 days. Mexico, which actually has a presidential election, w- was something like 60 days. It, it, was, it was incredibly short. 
whereas I believe the first person to declare his candidacy for uh, the 2020 race was almost 1,200 days before the actual election will show up. Yeah, it's, it's like it's seriously it's the day after that the electioneering starts. And I guess we shouldn't be too surprised when people work themselves into a frenzy. And that's that's one of the things that has me puzzled and maybe even beyond puzzled, just a, just a little bit concerned. Because there's a lot of deception out there. And I, I'm when I say this, please understand my concern is that you're too dumb to figure it out for yourself. I actually believe precisely the opposite. I think that you and I are plenty smart enough to figure things out for ourselves. But sometimes we choose not to. Does that make sense? We prefer, well, you know, I like this person. This person gives, you know, a, a pretty good, you know, accounting of what's going on. So I'm just, you know, everything I need to know, I'll just dial up Mark Levin and he'll tell me whatever, you know, I need to know about this. That's called living on borrowed light. And it's not a smart thing to do unless you want to be accused of being a Russian bot or an Assad apologist. <laughs> Or or whatever else. I don't know. The epithets change from time to time. But the bottom line is you're going to get smeared if you take a different view. We've got to be smart enough to figure out how to sift truth from falsehood. Now, there's a terrific article yesterday on uh, that was published yesterday on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. Sam Bocetta is the author, and it's called Should or Can Fake News Be Regulated? Because this is one of the solutions, I'm putting that in air quotes, that that people are reaching for. Thinking, well, if we can just, you know, regulate this and make it so so you can't put up fake news or news that's disagreeable. Or uh, I think somebody actually was seriously talking about making it uh, illegal to criticize members of Congress. Yeah, free speech is, is a really good foundation for a free society for a reason. There has to be the ability to freely exchange ideas, to exchange concepts, to, to, to speak freely. More importantly, to hold one's conscience as sacrosanct and beyond the reach of the law. Whatever thoughts you're thinking are nobody's business. Well, now, Brian, people think ugly thoughts. You know, what, if, what if somebody's thinking racist, homophobic thoughts right this minute? Well, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but so what? So what if they are? Does that mean you have to think them? Are you so weak-minded that, well, by some magnetic force, they're just going to pull me into their orbit and all of a sudden I'll be thinking those thoughts? No. As long as their behavior is peaceful, people should be able to think whatever they want. And yet we have well-intentioned people who nonetheless just... I don't know. They've mistaken their credentials for something that tells them you are the grand poobah of the universe and we can shape things the way you want them. So we've got to force people to do the right thing. Well, you don't do that by trying to restrict what people think or trying to restrict what people say. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions here where where what a person says may have some criminal liability, defamation, fraud, inciting. Those kind of things, yeah, there should be some kind of a legal remedy. But if a person is just thinking unpopular thoughts, that's their business. And you know what? Here's the other side of free speech that you and I maybe should appreciate a little bit more. If someone is thinking those kind of thoughts, or you know that they hold those kind of thoughts, maybe they've confided in you, hey, I don't, I don't want to make any waves here, but I've got to confess, I really don't like 
cowboys or country western music. In fact, I really hate cowboys. If they're saying that kind of stuff to you, guess what you can do? You can walk away from them or you can choose not to associate with them. Because freedom of association is part of free speech. You get government involved, though, and, and pretty soon you have what are called enforceable taboos. Well, it's too bad that you don't like cowboys because, according to this law, you're going honky-tonking tonight down at the old uh, Cotton-Eyed Joe. Wow. And you better be wearing boots. Oh, okay, well, you know, because we want everybody to be thinking pleasant thoughts and, and all thinking, you know, good things. This article on fee from Sam Bocetta says there's an old saying that you can't legislate stupidity. And his point here is that overreaching policies would change that fact and just strip freedoms from everyone. And fake news is the battle cry that will get people to rise up and say, yeah, you know, we should really support that. Because it's the go-to response whenever there's a question or whenever there's a news story that some public figure doesn't agree with or doesn't like. Now, though it was popularized in the U.S., Politicians and pundits all over Europe now use that same response in order to deflect, in order to avoid scrutiny, and sometimes point out reality. Mostly humorous but potentially dangerous accusations of fake news have become business as usual from public officials, social media butterflies, and commentators around the world. But he asks the question, does that mean false stories and those who create them should be regulated and censored by government? See, now that's a question worth asking. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the Joe Carey Show. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about, how you can walk away. I love that. But the only problem is when we get government involved, then we're forced to pay and to support financially some of these ideologies that they keep throwing at us. As long as they're favored by government, yes, you're right. Then, then you're forced to associate. You're forced to associate. You, so that, that's when these heated debates come about, because people are being forced to pay. This is communism, a force of communism here. Just a, a great example of it. You can't walk away because you're paying for it. Yep. Financially. I, I wish we would wake up in America. It would be such a greater place if we could just get rid of the corruption, the bureaucracy in government and get back to what government's sole responsibility is to do, what their scope of work is under the Constitution. Oh, I'm nodding my head enthusiastically. You're, you're absolutely right. Here's, here's the rub, at least from, from my vantage point. Feel free to disagree. That change is going to have to start at the individual level. It's never going to happen from the top down because the folks at the top have too much power that they're invested in and they want to protect. They want yeah, to keep right. things the just, same. I was just in the Sandy City, Sandy City building today. And the lady says, well, we haven't raised taxes in 20 years. Well, you know what? <laughs> Why should I pay for your health insurance and your pension plan? Get rid of that. Get that out of the equation. I told her, I said, you've got to start figuring out where you're going to start cut your spending before you start raising taxes. So it has to start in your local. That's where it needs to start. By the way, right what, what was her response? How did she respond to that? They, they pipe right down. They don't know what to say. <laughs> they, they, they look at the floor. Uh, yeah. Because they know it's wrong. Well, and, and it's not only wrong, but, uh, but their livelihood depends on things staying as they are. You know what? 
government's main local municipalities their 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 job is to uh, make sure the infrastructure is up to snuff and and maintain their job is not to create an economy and for some reason that's what we've gotten is local municipalities they're trying to create a they control and create economies and that's not their job that's crony capitalism and I wish people would wake up hey I, I appreciate your thoughts thank you so much for calling in this is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe today. He will be back on the air tomorrow, so plan on joining us. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll check some news headlines and be back right after these messages. Thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Once again, welcome back to the Joe Carey Show. Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe today. Just a quick reminder, the Ammon Bundy Show, the Liberty Effect, coming up at uh, 1 o'clock Mountain Time, about a half hour from now. If you'd like to uh, get that on your calendar, you know, just letting you know. So we're talking about fake news, censorship. How do you recognize when you're being, um, I was going to use the term brainwashed, but that that seems kind of loaded. How do you recognize when someone is using mind control to shift your perceptions in a direction that they want to shift them? I was mentioning to you this article by Sam Bocetta, published on the Foundation for Economic Education's website, about the case against government censorship. Can or should fake news be regulated? And and one of the things that he asks here is ever since the Internet uh, became a primary means of business and individual communication and commerce, it's been under attack from various government agencies, social justice advocates, and even watchdog groups who either want it uh, to be regulated or just to shut down large segments of it. But the question he asks is, how can we have a free, unfettered Internet and a micromanaged nanny state at the same time? I mean, in Europe, you've got the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, requirements. Australia has snooping laws. I mean, it's, uh, most of us would agree. Publishing false or misleading news stories can be ha- that can be harmful to a p- public um, is, is a bad idea. We deserve honesty. We deserve transparency, transparency from our governments and from our news media, which strangely considers itself a fifth branch of government. So regulating the speech of groups or average citizens in the information age is not only impractical, but it's also nearly impossible from a legal and enforcement standpoint. And it also leads to a slippery slope that threatens to punish protected forms of speech like satire and valid criticism. He points out in a world with emerging pockets of Orwellian newspeak popping up everywhere, balancing the demand for government and journalistic integrity with the public's right to freedom of expression doesn't leave us with any easy answers. Can a a global borderless means of discourse and information sharing ever really be regulated? Or should moderation fall to private enterprise and the discernment of we the people? And in some ways, it comes down to totalitarianism versus technology. Many artificially intelligent al- algorithms can help with the fake news problem, but you know, they aren't foolproof. 
Using platforms like search engines and web browsers that aren't subject to bias or paid advertisers is another. All of these approaches rely on a partnership between technology and private enterprise to come up with monitoring systems that are more fair or more impartial. Sometimes technology isn't even necessary to root out fake or unreliable content and content creators. Most large platforms use verification mechanisms to determine whether a website or a group or individual is who they say they are. And they'll mark those platforms with a verification checkmark or authentication symbol. Now, that doesn't always guarantee accuracy in their reporting, but at least you know who to hold accountable. Legitimate satire websites... Is that a contradiction in terms? <laughs> Typically include a disclaimer at the bottom of their pages and on every story, although The Onion doesn't. Rascals. You can click on the links embedded in articles to determine the source and to learn more about the author of that content. Typing a quote into a search engine will reveal, is it an actual quote? It'll give you context and who deserves credit. Often all it takes is looking beyond clickbaity headlines and jumping straight to the like-share buttons to determine if something is fake, satire, or a complete lie. But you notice, the responsibility falls to us first. And we've grown lazy. That's something we kind of resent. Eh, somebody, can't somebody else do it? Trust me, this is one of those areas you don't want someone else doing it. Let's go back to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the Joe Carey Show. I just wanted to touch bases on one more issue on that last conversation you and I had. Yeah. You know, she she based it on the house prices being, because the house prices were so expensive here in, in Sandy and in Salt Wait, let's, Lake Let's City. give some context. So you were talking with uh, a city worker at the Sandy City yeah. Hall about, uh, and yeah. she was saying they haven't risen, we haven't uh, raised taxes in 20 years, and, and yeah. then you you had, had kind of spelled out for her that uh, you shouldn't be raising taxes anyway. You should be cutting costs. Yes, I did. And, uh, you know, the thing that I wanted to touch base on, she, so she tried to use that as, a, you know, her her verification, her, you know, why these taxes are so high because of the house, housing costs are going up so high. But she fails to realize that the people are coming here because they've been taxed out of their eyeballs in California. And the house prices are so expensive there, they can't afford to live anymore. Very true. And that's what we're, we're doing this to ourselves. And I, it's, it's, it's insanity what we're living in listening to some of these uh, people with their ideology on certain issues that are going on and their, their reasoning for justifying it. I, I just, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Well, and, you, and you're right to point out, this isn't just at the federal level. This percolates right down to the neighborhood or the municipality that you live in. Yeah, well, it's coming. It's in our municipalities, and that's where it affects you the most. You know, I, I just, as far as this federal government debt, that's, that's a whole other can of worms but you know here in your local municipalities is where you're paying your property taxes and your taxes on you know your gas and your taxes on food and every other thing that you have to get your fees and everything's a fee everything's a, a you know it's just it's ludicrous just to get by in a day you open your eyes you're being taxed for something there's a tax or a fee for you opening your eyes when you wake up in the morning including a lot of taxes that are dis disguised as something else. They'll call it a fee or they'll call it a donation or something, but it's a tax. It's a tax. You know, cause like if you're a contractor, you've got to take continuing education courses. That's a tax. You know? Good example. I mean, it, it's just constantly uh, one thing or the other. And, and these people are trying to, you know, sustain their way of living. And their way of living is to, you know, it's either us or them, and we are them, the people that are not part of the government. So you're going to have to realize that if you're in the private sector working for yourself, 
you're not part of the club, and you don't get the perks and benefits like everybody else does. And I, I really have a problem with that because I don't understand why I have to give these perks and benefits to you and create them for myself as well. I think it's not fair. Oh, I, I agree. And, and, you know, at the root of it, somehow we've allowed the servant-master relationship between, you know, the public and the government that we call into existence to be our servant. We've, we've allowed that to become inverted. They think we're the servants, and they treat us like servants. You're right, and, and the cost is only going to keep going up and up because of all the perks and benefits. There's so many fingers, entities that are involved in these, these programs that they have, these health care benefits. I mean, if you look at all the things that are health care benefits of some of these you know, people that work for government, you've got so many different levels of medical care and, and psychological help and, and doctor. It's just phenomenal. All the stuff that you get. And so those are people that are supposedly in the private sector actually dipping into the taxpayer, which is crony yeah. capitalism, another example. Excellent. Thank you. Have a okay. good day. Thanks so much for your call. Hey, that's why we're here. We're here not only to help people get things off their chest, but I think what he brings up is something everybody should be considering. And you, you don't have to hate the people at City Hall or the city workers. Oh, you people living on my tax money. There's a lot of good people out there, and, and many of them do things that actually measurably improve your life. But there's also a growing mindset, and this is among government at any level. I don't care if it's county, if it's municipal, if it's state, or if it's federal. There's this mindset that, well, we have to do this. And, there, and it's caused government to branch into things that uh, once were actually left to us to sort out. I'm going to steer this back over to the idea of how do you protect yourself from fake news or fake information or deceptive information? One of the threats that's that's being touted right now are what are called deep fakes. Deep fakes would be videos of real people that have been doctored by high-tech software to make it appear that they're saying things that are untrue or misrepresented and are not anything the subject of the video ever actually said. Now, of course, you can see how this could cause massive amounts of mischief, particularly in a political context. And I assume it's it's getting pretty uh, it's getting pretty advanced. Look at the, the face app software that was all the rage here a few weeks ago that would artificially age you. That stuff was amazing. It looked legit. I had friends who were very concerned about how hard, how hard a year I must have had because I'd gone completely gray and <laughs> aged so much because of that photo. But it was just, uh, you know, it was just artificial intelligence that uh, that made it so. Look, the cure for deep fakes is the same cure for fake news back before computers ever existed, back before anybody had the ability to manipulate video and make it look like, wow, Nancy Pelosi really did stab that guy in the heart right there on the street. Actually, probably be Donald Trump, right? Because he'd be, he would be a target for this kind of stuff. You just have to adopt the attitude whenever something comes up, whether it's about a person, whether it's about a policy. If you get in the habit of asking yourself, what do I actually know about this person or what do I actually know about this issue that wasn't told to me by someone else? And if the answer is very little, then keep an open mind. Be skeptical, but keep an open mind that maybe this is not what it's portraying itself to be. 
This is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to The Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in today for Joe. But Joe Carey will be back tomorrow afternoon at this time. And I hope you'll join him. He's got some great guests lined up. I want to hear his take, too, on the the Democratic debates of the last couple of days. Just because uh, Joe's got a good slant. He's also funny. He, he can look at it in a way that even though I feel like crying, I find myself laughing instead. And I think that's probably only going to get worse <laughs> as Election Day 2020 approaches. So we've been talking a little bit about propaganda. We've been talking about how, you know, fake news is is on people's mind. How can we stop fake news? I don't know if you saw this, but I just saw a story come across my newswire this afternoon. Conspiracy theories are a new domestic terrorism threat. This is according to Yahoo News. The FBI, for the first time, has identified fringe conspiracy theories as a domestic terrorism threat. Isn't that something? I guess by one hook, by by hook or crook, they're going to shut down unapproved opinions. That could get pretty ugly. So let's talk a little bit about mind control. How does it work? Brandon Smith, writing for alt-market.com, has uh, some really great material. I highly recommend his, his take on things just because the guy seems to have a fair amount of common sense. And he, he says this. He says, when people are confronted with the idea of mind control, they often think, think of something out of television or film media, a lone prisoner tortured, chemically dazed and conditioned into a hollow zombie as his captors squeeze information from him or use him to complete a task he would not normally do or morally accept. And while there is actually some truth to this kind of Hollywood depiction, as is evidenced in the exposure of government programs like MK Ultra, the most insidious forms of mind control are actually a whole lot more subtle. Now, he comes right out and says it. Governments and the elitists behind them do not necessarily need to physically cage, drug, and brutalize people in order to influence how they behave. This is where the subtlety comes in. All they need to do is manage their perceptions, expectations, and assumptions. And this can be accomplished with large portions of the public rather than one person at a time. In fact, the elites have always been rather fascinated with mass hypnotism, or at least the idea of mass hypnotism. In the 18th century, Franz Mesmer was famous for entertaining European royalty with displays of what he called animal magnetism, which included what we now know as as hypnosis of individuals and groups. Mesmerism has become synonymous with the attempt to befuddle people and dictate their actions while in a kind of a trance. Hypnotism is still a very active subject in psychiatric circles, and the U.S. government took avid interest in hypnotism as a weapon during their MK Ultra experiments in the 1950s. People involved in the field of hypnotism are quick to point out that a hypnotized person can't be made to do something that goes against their code of ethics. But that's not exactly the whole story. A hypnotist makes suggestions that the subject chooses to follow or refuses to follow while in a trance state. However, what if they can be convinced or fooled through hypnosis? into believing that a particular action is in their best interest in spite of their moral code or sense of self-preservation. 
This kind of control over a subject can and has been accomplished in hypnotic therapy. And examples of covert hypnotherapy are also on record, including the example of an Ohio divorce attorney that used covert hypnotism against multiple female clients and is suspected of using it against some court employees to disarm their psyches and then rape them without memory of the incident. Well, that's dark. About two-thirds of any, of any given population are capable of being hypnotized to varying degrees. Stanford University has been avidly searching for a, a brain pattern that acts as a fingerprint for those that are more prone to hypnotic influence. And they believe they've found certain factors involving areas of the brain that handle heightened focus and attention. Reduced peripheral awareness also helps to increase the subject's vulnerability to hypnosis and vastly increases suggestibility. Now, these conditions can, in fact, be encouraged in large crowds of people. Consider this for a moment. What daily activity is the average person involved in that hyperfocuses almost all of their attention on a single point in space for long periods of time and removes almost all of their peripheral awareness? If you said cell phone use, then you win a chicken dinner. Beyond creating an artificial and constant low dose of dopamine in the human brain, leading to addiction, cell phones and other small electronic devices actually create the perfect conditions for a person to be hypnotized as they rip them away from all peripheral awareness and make them highly suggestible to those who know how to use covert methods. To reiterate, Brandon Smith says a hypnotic state can be induced in large groups of people for extended periods of time with the correct long-term stimulus. And he actually links a, a video to mentalist Darren Brown hypnotizing or brainwashing an entire shopping mall of people into raising their hands exactly when he wants them to without them being aware of why they're doing it. And if you look at the video, you'll notice nearly two thirds of the crowd complies. Now, hypnotic suggestions last as long as the subjects continue to believe that the suggestions are correct. Hypnotism is essentially an agreement between the hypnotist and the persons being hypnotized that a particular belief is true, even if it's not. In the case of a victim of an attack, the person may want to believe that the traumatic event did not happen, and thus they can be convinced through hypnosis to forget it. In the case of a group of people, the hypnotist would have to identify an area or fear that they all share and want to believe is real and then exploit it. Now, the political applications of this are obvious. The false left-right paradigm is a perfect petri dish for obtaining or manufacturing the consent of the masses to be hypnotized. They want to believe that their team, which has, they've, they've willingly joined, is the correct team and that the leadership of that team has their best interest at heart. They want to believe that the actions of their party, through legislation or through direct means, are always rational and morally sound. And even when the leaders of their party do things which are completely contrary to the beliefs and morals of the people who make up the party, those people still do, they still want to believe that there must be some logical reason behind these decisions that they just don't yet grasp. Beyond this, the threat of the other party or team is an ever constant stimulus in the form of fear. Watch the scripted battles of these two fabricated teams play out in elaborate forms of kabuki theater. Yet nothing ever really changes except that the global elites grow more powerful. Hint, the debates, that's what he's talking about. 
Yet nothing ever really changes except that the, that, uh, you know, the, the people in power consolidate their power. And still, people believe these battles to be real. They invest immense amounts of energy and focus into them as if the fate of the world is being decided within the antics of a political soap opera. When people are afraid or hyper-focused on an outside threat, they once again become more suggestible. That's why mainstream political discussions tend to focus less on understanding of the threat, the how and why, and more on perpetuating the threat. With understanding of the enemy or false enemy, the threat can be assessed and fear is reduced even if the threat is real. But without understanding, fear only increases. Political powers seek to constantly remind us that threats exist without allowing us the benefit of context. They don't want us to have an in-depth knowledge of the mechanics behind the threats. We're told the system works in a particular way that seems logical, but only it only makes sense to us if we want to believe that the system functions as we were taught. We have to have blind faith that what we were initially told was absolutely true. And the question is, why should we? Isn't it better to remain skeptical of most things and to study what's handed to us? If we're given a strange elixir by an utter stranger and told, drink up, should we not question what's in the frothing brew and what it does? Would we not investigate? In the case of information and proclamations, some people would not investigate because it's just more comfortable to go along with the lies. Or perhaps they will be rewarded for going along with the status quo. It's only when we become willing to sacrifice comfort, when we stop wanting to accept everything we're told at face value and start questioning the reality that's handed to us, only then will the mass hypnosis we were once influenced by lose its power. Look, real mind control and mass hypnosis requires our consent. But it's consent that's conned out of us by political stagecraft often. It's conned out of us by fake leaders with intentions and actions that don't match their promises. It's conned out of us by a system that breeds conformity of thought and tells us that those who think outside the widely accepted norm are aberrant. They're crazy. It's conned out of us by our own weaknesses, our desire to go along to get along, our fear of confronting the crowd and telling them they're wrong, or our fear of losing what we think is stability, or our fear of being on our own. So real mind control is not about torture and force. It's about quietly induced acceptance. Now, we can remove our consent from the hypnotist anytime we wish, but we have to be willing to stop ignoring certain realities. We have to be willing to feel the pain that comes when we recognize we've been conned or controlled. And we have to revel in our ability to refuse to conform. And it has to become a part of who we are. People who do not take what we're told at face value. Man, that's good stuff. This is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe. The Liberty Effect is on the way next. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 